Meta, TikTok, and X's CEOs face the music during a spirited Senate hearing. Chicago emerges as one of the most diverse venture markets, and vertical AI applications may be the hottest investment of 2024. I'm Jackson Fordyce. I'm Josiah Simons. And this is Venture Daily. Yesterday, the U.S. Senate held a hearing with top social media CEOs, including Meta's Mark Zuckerberg, TikTok's Shozi Chu, and X's Linda Yaccarino. Senators wanted to have a conversation with the leaders about what they are doing to protect children from harmful content on their platforms. Senators Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, and Tom Cotton were among the loudest critics during the hearing. Let, let me just remind you of some of the science from your own company. Instagram studied the effect of your platform on teenagers. Let me just read you some quotes from the Wall Street Journal's report on this. Company researchers found that Instagram is harmful for a sizable percentage of teenagers, most notably teenage girls. Here's a quote from your own study, quote, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. Here's another quote, teens blamed Instagram, this is your study, for increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. This reaction was unprompted and consistent across all groups. That's your study. Senator, we try to under, understand the, uh, the feedback and, and how people feel about the services. We can improve Wait a minute, your, own, da- your are- own study says that you make life worse for one in three teenage girls, you increase anxiety and depression. That's what it says. And you're here testifying to us in public that there's no link. That was Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley asking Mark Zuckerberg to elaborate on why the billionaire claims there is no link between mental health and social media use. Let me show you some more facts. Here are some, here's some information from a whistleblower who came before the Senate testified under oath in public. He worked for you. He's a senior executive. Here's what he showed he found when he studied your products. So, for example, this is girls between the ages of 13 and 15 years old. 37% of them reported that they had been exposed to nudity on the platform, unwanted, in the last seven days. 24% said that they had experienced unwanted sexual advances they'd been propositioned in the last seven days. 17% said they had encountered self-harm content pushed at them in the last seven days. After interrogating Zuckerberg about the dangers of social media use for kids, Senator Hawley asked him to apologize to the victims of Meta's platforms. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? Would you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? Zuckerberg's mic cuts out here, but he stands up, faces the families, and robotically says this, quote, It's terrible. No one should have to go through the things your families have suffered. He continues, And this is why we invest so much and are going to continue doing industry-leading efforts to make sure that no one has to go through the things your families have had to suffer. The families Zuckerberg is facing and speaking to all had a family member whose online experiences on Meta's platforms led to them being cyberbullied, developing body dysmorphia, self-harming, and even committing suicide. But the assault on Meta's founder didn't end there. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. That was South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham. Graham goes on to say that when cigarettes were killing people, the U.S. government did something about it. He complains that it's a shame that nothing can be done about the harms of social media as he believes Zuckerberg, quote, 
can't be sued. TikTok CEO Xu Chu didn't escape the torrent of accusatory questions either. Here's Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton interrogating the Singaporean CEO on his ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Have you ever been a member of the Chinese Communist Party? Senator, I'm Singaporean. No. Have you ever been associated or affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party? No, Senator. Again, okay. I'm Singaporean. Let me ask you some hopefully simple questions. You said earlier, in response to your question, that what happened at Tiananmen Square in June of 1989 was a massive protest. Did anything else happen in Tiananmen Square? Yes, I think it's well documented. There was a massacre. Um, there was an yeah. indiscriminate slaughter of hundreds or thousands of Chinese citizens. Do you agree with the Trump administration and the Biden administration that the Chinese government is committing genocide against the Uyghur people? Senator, I've said this before. I think it's really important that anyone who cares about this topic or any topic can freely express themselves on TikTok. It's a very simple question that unites both parties in our country and governments around the world. Is the Chinese government committing genocide against the Uyghur people? Senator, anyone, including, you know, you can come and yes, TikTok yes, and talk yes, about no. this topic I'm asking you, yes, or any no. topic. You that are a worldly, to. cosmopolitan, well-educated man who's expressed many opinions on many topics. Is the Chinese government committing genocide against the Uyghur people? Actually, Senator, I talk mainly about my company, and I'm yes, here to yes, talk sir, about what yes, TikTok no. does. Yes or no. You're here, we give, allow... you're here to give testimony that is truthful and honest and complete. Let me ask you this. Joe Biden last year said that Xi Jinping was a dictator. Do you agree with Joe Biden that Xi Jinping a dictator? Senator, I, I'm not going to comment on any world leaders. Although the leaders of the most popular social media platforms took a verbal beating during the Senate hearing yesterday, there's likely little that will be done legislatively. Thus far, no meaningful bills have been passed by Congress relating to requirements for the protection of children on social media platforms. Chicago Blend, a nonprofit focused on promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion in Chicago's venture capital and startup community, just released a five-year startup diversity report surveying how top American cities invest in and support diverse founders. Since its founding in 2018, the nonprofit has published an annual report of data collection on Chicago and other major venture markets, which include New York, San Francisco, Austin, Boston, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Seattle, Miami, and Denver. Here are key findings from the startup diversity report. Over 36% of Chicago venture-backed startups had at least one woman founder, the highest percentage of any city included in the report. Over 24% of Chicago startups had at least one founder of color, the second highest percentage of any city. And 44% of venture funding in Chicago went to companies founded by people of color, the second highest percentage of any city. Responding to the findings, Joey Mack, CEO of Chicago Blend, says, quote, We found that Chicago has outperformed several other cities in significant and meaningful ways that we should be proud of as a city. And this data proves that Chicago is increasingly becoming a great city for underrepresented founders and VCs to conduct business, unquote. But Mac isn't satisfied with these results yet. He says, quote, that being said, other funding inequities persist, reminding us of the work that lies ahead on our shared journey toward building a more inclusive VC and startup ecosystem. For more on the nonprofit's diversity report and Chicago's venture landscape, I spoke with the man himself, Chicago Blend CEO, Joey Mack. I'm Joey Mack. I'm the CEO of a nonprofit organization called Chicago Blend, and we are focused on increasing diversity in the venture capital and startup community. Joey, really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's hop into this first question. Can you give us a quick backdrop of Chicago's venture capital culture as it pertains to the diversity of founders and those founders receiving venture funding? Sure. So, you know, Chicago is a very diverse city, and 
we have a lot of diversity within our tech ecosystem, startup and venture capital ecosystem as well. And Chicago Blend, for our part, we've been measuring these types of things, looking at diversity across VC firms, as well as looking at diversity across startups um, since we were founded five years ago. Um, so we're really excited to release this report. And what we did is we looked at new companies, which we define as venture-backed companies founded in the last five years, to understand how opportunities to start companies, raise venture capital and secure venture capital, see how those opportunities are distributed across race, ethnicity, and gender. And something that was really striking is that we found that um, especially when it comes to gender representation, Chicago is a really great city um, for women-backed, venture-backed companies. Um, but we're also finding that they're not raising as much money as their counterparts um, as their counterparts in other cities. So this is the type of data that we dig into, looking at funding levels, looking at how opportunities are distributed, and um, our report is a culmination of that. In Chicago Blend's startup diversity report, Chicago consistently ranks first or even second in diversity metrics over cities like New York and Los Angeles. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, but you know, why do you think that this is the case? Yeah, so I think there's been when we think about the uh, stubborn diversity problem within the tech industry, there are really a couple different solutions that we need to pursue. One is providing direct support to founders, especially underrepresented founders in the form of capital, resources, mentorship, um, all those things that founders will need. But the other side of the equation is really thinking about diversity among the investor class, those people who are actually deciding which companies will raise venture capital. And in Chicago, we actually have a good bit of diversity. We've seen that diversity grow among venture capital investors over the past five years. So I think part of the reason why we're um, seeing um, some, some bright spots in this report is because there's been a lot of local effort to support underrepresented founders, and there's also been a concerted effort to diversify the investor class. Joey, back in October, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed Bill SB 54 that requires VC firms to report on the race, gender, and sexual orientation of the founders that they invest in. Do you think this is a step in the right direction to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion in the venture capital and startup ecosystem? You know, we are big believers that you can't improve what you don't measure. So the type of work that we've been doing, as well as these other efforts to just bring greater transparency around what diversity looks like, um, overall is a really good thing. Um, I know this is relatively new legislation. There are um, certain, you know, privacy concerns and just some technical things that it sounds like they need to work out as they figure out the implementation. But by and large, we are in favor of these types of efforts to um, just bring bring a light to what diversity looks like uh, in this important part of our ecosystem that is generating a lot of economic value to cities. Joey, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jackson. It's no secret that artificial intelligence is the hottest investment in venture capital. According to PitchBook data, $29.1 billion was invested across 691 generative AI deals in 2023, a 268% increase from the previous year. 2023 saw the artificial intelligence industry receive nearly $50 billion in funding, the second highest figure in the market's history. Last year's headlines mostly focus on what is known as horizontal AI, which is general purpose, ubiquitous artificial intelligence that tends to look like large language models such as ChatGPT. These applications are usually a safe bet for venture capital, but investing into them is extremely expensive. Notable companies to receive big checks include OpenAI, $10 billion, Anthropic, $7 billion, and Inflection, $1.3 billion. And as expected, the big AI startups were funded by the big investors, 
Microsoft, Amazon, and Google all led multi-billion dollar fundraises for these companies. Naturally, venture capital firms with smaller budgets missed out on the best of the AI gold rush as their fund sizes couldn't compete with the bigger players. But another AI opportunity has arisen for firms with fewer assets under management, startups focusing on vertical AI. In an interview with PitchBooks' Leah Hodgson, Pinder Ventures partner Isaac Sawin explained that, quote, on the horizontal side, it's an arms race. It's insanely expensive, and a lot of investors don't have the capital to place these huge bets. Vertical markets are easier to play in. You can still invest in the AI revolution, but you don't have to come with a massive mega fund to do it, unquote. As the sophistication of several large language models increases, many new vertical AI applications are being tailor-made for specific industries, and they have become an enticing bet for 2024's venture markets. For more on the rise of vertical AI, I spoke with Parker McKee. I'm Parker McKee, and I'm a principal uh, focused on software investing at Pillar VC. Parker, really excited to have you on the show today, man. Thanks for taking the time. Of course. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Of course. Let's hop into the first question. Do you think vertical AI and its specialized applications will be the investment that catches venture capitalists' eye in 2024? I think it's certainly one of them. You know, we're we're closely monitoring the trend of a transition from you know traditional enterprises buying tools to actually buying labor. And uh, transformers have enabled a, a quality and accuracy increase that I think actually allows for the first time a lot of traditional, you know, uh, traditional working roles to be fully automated away. And the interesting thing about that is that, you know, the ticket size for a salary is, you know, so much larger, often an order of magnitude larger than what you just charge for a tool. And I, I think because of that, you're going to see some really interesting business opportunities emerge. And, and I suspect, you know, VCs will, will not miss it. Pinder Ventures partner Isaac Sawini said this to PitchBook, quote, On the horizontal side of AI, it's an arms race. It's, insane, it's insanely expensive, and a lot of investors don't have the capital to place these huge bets. Vertical markets are easier to play in. You can still invest in the AI revolution, but you don't have to come with a massive mega fund to do it. Parker, have you seen investors become more interested in investing in vertical AI because of the cheaper price? Yes and no. I mean, I think there's different ways to. I think it's a good point that that that, that Spencer makes. I think there's different ways to play the foundation models right now. Like, if, if you look at the arms race that's going on, it's you know it's like Broadway for business nerds. You know, uh, one company comes out and cuts their cuts their price, and someone undercuts them the next day, and the following day, OpenAI undercuts them. And you know, you you can't help but believe that it's you know it's a race to the bottom on margin for a lot of these traditional foundation model players. And so, like one thing that we're tracking is well, where does all that where does that all net out? And when you unpack it, we think there's vertical opportunities in hardware. And so, if you believe that you know you're going to race to the bottom of the you know the serving cost on a GPU, well, maybe there's opportunities to build photonic chips or analog chips, and if you can get transformers to run on those uh, on those hardware platforms. Maybe you have some, you know, cost advantage and people will vertically integrate. So I think there are ways to play the, the horizontal space that aren't just pouring money into, you know, training foundation models. Uh, and then along with that, there's a lot of interesting applications in, in verticals that, you know, have their own complexities and challenges. Parker, last question. As vertical AI startups begin cropping up, how can investors cut through the noise of distinguishing which companies are solving real problems versus which companies are only offering generic solutions? It's a great question. I we, we like to think about the market as uh, mission-critical applications and non-mission-critical applications. And, and a mission-critical application is one where there's a high cost of error. And so just taking an off-the-shelf foundation model probably won't cut it. Uh, you want something that requires fast utilization speed, so there's not a ton of time for a human to review it. And so accuracy matters a lot. And then complexity to re com complexity of the how long it takes to review the output. And so, for example, if you're generating like a, a generative ad, 
and it's an image, uh, a human reviewer can can parse through whether that's a good output pretty quickly. Compare that to, you know, call it a, a 600-page contract full of legalese. It's probably faster just to write the contract yourself using boilerplate templates than to have to go try to look for errors in a 600-page contract. And so we, we like to look for things that sit uh, in that mission-critical corner of the market. Uh, and, we, and we think those are where you can actually go and build very application-specific tools that you know can demand uh, their own their own specific uh, their own specific companies versus just playing off the foundation models. Parker, we really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for tuning into Venture Daily. Today's show is produced by Josiah Simons and Jackson Fordyce. Our theme song was created by Benjamin Cook. If you liked today's episode please give us an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see y'all tomorrow morning.